2: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The New Hollywood Podcast is presented by Visit West Hollywood. We would also like to thank today's partners, Cali Love, Inkbox, West Elm, and of course, Visit West Hollywood. Pulsing in the heart of L.A., West Hollywood is home to the iconic Sunset Strip, diverse Santa Monica Boulevard, and fashion-forward design district. Learn more at visitwesthollywood.com. Hey guys,
0: this is Amanda Nduka. This is part two of Deadline's New Hollywood podcast from Sundance. This, our guests are Matt Turnhour, who is the director of a documentary called Where Is My, Roy Cohen? And Patrice Kohlers, who is a co-founder of Black Lives Matter and also is subject in a documentary called Bedlam, which is uh, focused on mental illness and how it's kind of been treated and basically how it's kind of been swept under the rug for a long time in this country. And we just engage in a really, really deep discussion about, about politics, about policy, and about basically how. It's funny how they're you know they're they both of these documentaries tackle two different subjects, but there's 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 a through line. This is part two of Deadline's New Hollywood podcast from Sundance. Enjoy
2: Thank you guys so much for doing this, coming to the new Hollywood podcast. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah. So this panel is all about how documentary film is important for untold history of underrepresented voices and their cultural significance. And each of your films deal with the relevant issues of today. But before we dive deep into those, can you tell us, you know, the catalyst and, you know, yeah, talk about the film.
0: Can you just give it, give us a little intro uh, to your films, uh, both of you guys?
1: Sorry, Should I go first? Yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, The film's called Where's My Roy Cohn? It's about uh, Roy Cohn, who is, or was, he died in 1986 of complications from HIV-AIDS. He was the uh, dark, string-puller Svengali of American politics who connects, believe it or not, Senator Joseph McCarthy in the early 1950s. He was the uh, right-hand man to McCarthy, and he was the mentor and really the creator of Donald Trump. So uh, it's extraordinary that someone who's been dead since 86 uh, is credited with creating almost entirely a president who was only elected in 2016, but that this person has deepest roots in the previously darkest period of American history since the Second World War. And there are links between these two figures and these two times, and this movie connects the dots.
3: Thank you. Um, hey, everybody. Super good to be here. Uh, grateful for um, this conversation, and um, this is my first Sundance. Oh, Thank welcome. So the uh, documentary film that I'm uh, being featured in is called Bedlam. And it's the story of uh, folks with severe mental illness, um, the advocacy around it, and uh, the work that Los Angeles County, the county I'm from, but also this country really has to do in um, repairing the harm against people who have severe uh, mental illness. Um, it follows four families. Uh, I'm one of the families. Uh, my brother actually uh, is living with schizoaffective disorder and has been criminalized uh, by the LA County system and has spent majority of his uh, life, childhood, and also adult life incarceration or in some sort of um, lockdown psychiatric facility. And um, while the film is incredibly challenging to witness, it's also really moving and empowering because you get to see these families over a six years, um, six years of uh, living, figuring out how to cope with uh, a, a, a mental health care system that is completely neglecting and abusing the people in it. And um, when I met Ken, the director, Ken Rosenberg, um, I had just started a local organization called Dignity and Power Now, and our work was specifically looking at the abuse of uh, people with mental illness inside the county jails. And um, my brother was one of those people who were brutally beaten by the Sheriff's Department, and he was also diagnosed at the, at, the, at the same time that he was being abused. And so there's a long history of The county jail system, um, locking up people with mental illness. Um, LA County Jail is the actually largest mental health provider in the country. Serves over 1,400 people who have mental illness. Uh, And so it's a crisis. Mm -hmm. And the documentary exposes that crisis. Um, But it also gives a human face to the people who are living with it every day, and the families who are basically being forced to be social workers, um, case managers, um, and then you witness families who literally just can't do it anymore. Oh.
0: Um, sorry, <laughs> sorry I was just taking that all in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Patrice, what uh, what uh, compelled you to open up about uh, your brother's story in this documentary? It's, I mean, it's it's inspiring, but it's also so it's so frustrating and disheartening to see the type of things that he's he's gone through. Um, and 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 the type of neglect that he's experienced. What 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 was what was the bigger picture in your head when you decided to sign on for this documentary?
3: Well, I wouldn't have signed on if my brother didn't want to. So, um, Ken was actually filming inside of the psychiatric facilities at uh, USC LA County, and my brother was in a really bad manic episode. Um, we had attempted our family had attempted to treat him outside of psychiatric care. We, were, we had him see a psych doctor, we had him living in our home, we were giving him medication, but we just could not get him to a better place. And so five days into trying to care for him as a community, we made a decision with him to take him to the hospital. And when we took him to the hospital, Ken was filming. Um, I didn't know that because I wasn't inside the psych facility, but I got a phone call from a good friend of mine who was um, a nurse inside the county facility. And we had kind of already figured it out. My brother has a really good network. Um, so people who, will, if you see the film this week, you'll see um, the the community behind my brother and what it means to have community um, uh, when you have severe mental illness. And so my good friend had told my friend, you know, my brother's going to come in. Can you keep an eye on him? And um, I got a phone call after my brother was released um, from my friend Robin saying, hey, there was this psych doctor who's also a director um, filming in the psych ward and he's interested in your family story and I was like that's weird <laughs> um, um, and I got on a call with him and he was super authentic and I was like well let me ask my brother and I talk to Monty and he said no he's like I'm not interested in that and I said okay and I backed off and so did Ken and then my brother went into another episode and in that episode when he was kind of um, getting better he called me and said I, I want to tell my story and I said, okay, let's call Ken. And
0: um, as you know, mentioned earlier, you are the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, movement. Um, and you, in the in the video in the film, you credited your brother with uh, encourage you to get into advocacy. Um, why do you think that, specifically in the mental health um, uh, space? But why do you think that it's this illness is so largely ignored in the Black community and not seen as an actual illness? What what is what do you why do you think that is?
3: Well, I mean, I think mental health um, is um, a really new concept. And so people can see if your arm's broken. Um, there's, there, people can, like, test if you have cancer. But mental illness is largely misunderstood. I mean, you could talk to any psychiatrist, and they'll be like, yeah, we don't really know what mental illness is. We sort of just, like, experiment with these drugs to help, hopefully, folks, right? Um, And so I think that's sort of the overall thing, and I think inside the black community, there's a long history of um, seeing vulnerability as a sign of weakness, and so, um, or just, you know, how many times have you heard, you know, black families say, oh, he just needs some rest. Or prayer. (laughs) prayer. Um, And my family was not like that. Um, once, Once we knew that Monty had a mental illness, we were, very, we were big advocates, um, but that's not every family. Um, and I think that there's a long road um, that we have as a country and really coming to terms and reckoning around mental illness and the types of actual care um, people need uh, when they're in the middle of episodes also, but to be preventative. My brother could have had early treatment early on and did not receive that. Mm-hmm.
2: So, Matt, with, oh, excuse me. Uh, Matt, with, uh, where's my Roy Cohn? Uh, what was the catalyst and, like, what sparked your, uh, you know, your will to make this documentary?
1: Uh, well, I was looking at another type of crisis, but I believe a crisis, uh, which was the election of Donald Trump as president. And uh, started making the uh, movie the day after. Uh, Its origin was sort of strange. I was making a movie that premiered at Last Sundance called Studio 54, uh, about the nightclub. Roy Cohn was uh, the lawyer for that uh, club, and he uh, lawyered the uh, clients, the owners of the club, into the longest prison sentence ever (laughs) given for tax evasion. Uh, Roy Cohn was actually quite a good lawyer, but this was um, a very... uh, this was a very misguided effort, and in any event, um, long story short, I was looking at archival of him all through the election year and thinking, um, why hasn't anyone done a, a Roy Cohn movie because he's such a compelling character? And then I thought, well, it's really the story about Roy Cohn's connected to Trump, and Trump will lose, and we'll never have to think about Trump and Roy Cohn again. Uh, then I was like, all of us probably in this room, I was pretty shocked. And then I thought, well, this is a movie that has to be made because it's an undertold story because we all thought we were rid of of Roy Cohn and his malign influence. And everyone really and this is why part of the reason that Trump was elected why we why we weren't looking, so to speak, is that we thought too many people thought it was a joke and we didn't identify the markers in our society that led to uh, this uh, crisis, uh, which, and uh, Roy is responsible for a lot of that, which is the reason for the film.
2: So with, with, uh, with such a fascinating subject that you have, um, <laughs> was there anything surprising that you found out, and part two of that, this question is, when you were making the film, how much of his you know, homosexuality did you want to weigh in on his
1: narrative? Uh, Full exposure. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Uh, Well, part of what made Cohen uh, uh, or makes him a compelling figure is that uh, he was gay. Um, He was uh, deeply hypocritical about his homosexuality. Uh, in so many different ways. I'm sort of astonishing how many ways he found to be a hypocrite about being gay. Now, I want to preface this by saying he was born in 1927 and he was a man in public life. It was impossible to be really an out man in public life. We have to realize the context of all of this. But Roy Cohn, along with his mentor, uh, one of his mentors, J. Edgar Hoover, another closet homosexual, uh made it helped make it even worse and perpetuate the um the uh, just impossibility of being an out gay person in uh, the mid 20th century uh, they were their hypocrisy, Cohen's hypocrisy was complete he helped Joseph McCarthy create uh, the Lavender Scare, which was the companion to the Red Scare. The Red Scare was to root out communists, uh, mostly people who weren't communists but were falsely accused and whose lives were ruined. The Lavender Scare was the same thing for gay people. And they wanted to root them out of the State Department and the army and every part of the government. And these laws, by the way, were on the books until I believe the Clinton administration, if I'm not mistaken, it was very late uh, when they were taken off the books. And uh, it just so happens that two gay men were responsible for uh, much of that um, kind of law enforcement uh, um, panic that um, led to this uh, deep hypocrisy. Uh, Cohen's hypocrisy continues on down into his life. Uh, This is even without touching on Donald Trump. It's how ugly it is Uh, when he was um, a political force later in his life and the ultimate behind-the-scenes string puller in politics and uh, the whole power structure of the country involving the mafia and its involvement with the government. Roy Cohn's at the center of all that. Uh, He helps get Ronald Reagan elected president. And his very good friends, Ronald and Nancy Reagan, of course, uh, ignore the HIV crisis and create extraordinary damage in perpetuating a pandemic uh, meanwhile, uh, when Roy Cohn's diagnosed with AIDS during the Reagan presidency, they did everything they could to get him special treatment and experimental treatment at the National Institute of Health. And their telegrams from Ronald Reagan to Roy Cohn in the hospital where Reagan had placed him to assure that he would live longer saying nancy and i send you all of our love and our best wishes and godspeed for a recovery so we're exposing in this film the deepest and darkest levels of hypocrisy in government that led to you know who uh and we're (laughs) we're living (laughs) all of this again and that touches everything so we're talking about a narrative here about a white privileged male, by the way, but now Donald Trump is president, and every vulnerable minority is really in a a horrible, horrible position. It doesn't matter who you are. One day, you could be Muslim one day, you're African American one day, who knows, you're Jewish. I mean, it's it's everyone. Vulnerable minority is all of us, really, in one way or another, with very few exceptions. So the film is a clarion call. Uh, before we're overwhelmed by a rising tide of, frankly, fascism that Trump represents to understand where this came from. And if you understand that, you can help prevent it.
2: Oh. (laughs) Um,
1: Oh, Wake snatched. That's okay.
0: Um, So I want to... You you touched on, like, you know, um, this kind of... We we, we continue to see the same behavior throughout history. We continue to see perpetuated... um, Behavior throughout history. So, with documentary filmmaking is supposed to, you know, shine a light to these behaviors and everything. How do you guys feel like? um, Do you do you believe that we can still learn from our history? Do you do you still have faith? And this is for both of you because even with um, Bethlehem, it's like they started from you know, the first, this first asylum being made and to bringing it to today. And obviously with uh, the Roy Cohen, we are seeing this, the same, it was so crazy. You are seeing the same rhetoric that Trump uses, he was using back then, like it's- That's
2: like, oh, how many years? <laughs>
0: that was how many years, but you're still seeing it and people are still latching onto it. So do you guys feel like documentary filmmaking could really, what kind what kind of change do you guys see documentary filmmaking could do? Uh,
3: so I I, I I think storytelling is incredibly important. And any type of um, narrative um, really helps support having a conversation, exposing. I think documentary film in particular, Um, I'm I'm like a big fan of documentary films. It's a large way I was politicized as a young person because living in a country that has amnesia, um, living political amnesia, (laughs) Living in a country that denies um, people's basic human rights, while also saying that everybody has access to them, um, <laughs> and so I, I was, I'm, I have always been sort of the personality that wanted to know another truth, and documentary film. Had allowed me to know other truths. And so I think documentary film is incredibly important, it's incredibly necessary. Um, it also um, allows for us to have a different type of conversation. Um, it's often juxtaposed to bright, shiny Hollywood that is glossy and Disney-fied and has a very superficial conversation about something. A documentary film gives a raw, unadulterated version about what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And I think we don't do that enough in this country. Um, And we're often the ones to sort of like turn our face away from it. And I think documentary film is like a mirror. Like you have to witness this. You have to watch this. And if you don't, your life may depend on it. And so I think it's incredibly important.
0: And, there, and there's no like creative license, like everything is, is what, it, you know, what it is. Like, well, I
3: think of, there's creative like, license. Well, when I say that, I'm saying like
0: changing, basically like changing the story to fit some type, whatever your narrative
3: is. Well, I think everything is telling a story based off of your narrative, and I think that's not a bad thing. But I think what documentary film, good documentary film, gives you enough information for you to say, yeah, I can't actually deny that. Yeah. It gives you enough information for at the end of the day, you you will have to still be a bigot if you're like, well, let's still build a wall, right? Uh. After you received all of this information, <laughs> that's you denying, that's you being in denial about the thing.
1: Uh, it's funny, uh, your, um your uh, comments are crossing over with mine that I made previously today. (laughs) Uh, So I feel it's harmonic convergence here. We bring Uh, people together here at New Hollywood. uh, I've been uh, quoting uh, the writer Gore Vidal all week in this, answering a similar question. He used to call it the United States of amnesia. And uh, that's really what motivates me as well. Uh, You know, we're all drinking from the fire hose of cable news and Twitter now. And... Uh, great. If you To be informed is, uh, is to live. There's no question. But it's very difficult in uh, the wired media world and the 24-hour news cycle to actually take stock of what the, uh, the origins of the story are and the context of the story and the deeper meaning of it and how it affects us. That's what documentary is really, really good at. And uh, it, you take 90 minutes, generally, to tell your story. And sometimes now, in the age of the doc series, you take um, you know many hours to tell it. Uh, this is a great thing, actually. So the more attention that this form can get, and it is being popularized because of many platforms in the media now. Uh, I think and the more people we can get to watch and pay attention, I think uh, the better the better off we are. Uh, even, I mean, I'm completely obsessed with politics and news and I find myself overwhelmed <laughs> by Politico and the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the apps on my phones. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I know that most people are actually shutting off. So to, sh- to, to tell the story in a different form that's more like a movie and more like, uh, frankly, an entertainment, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think is really, really vital. And Sundance has always been a platform for that, actually. So um, it's appropriate that we're, we're here. <laughs> and clearly talking the same language. You know.
2: That's why we brought you together. <laughs>
1: it's not a coincidence, guys.
0: <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you make this in mind? Do, do you have an audience in mind for this? Or is, this some, or is this something that you
1: That's, well, you know, I always make my films for general audience. I come up from journalism. I come from general interest journalism which might be going the way of the dodo bird, actually. I'm a little sad about that. I mean, the New York Times is, uh, the newspapers are, important newspapers are having a renaissance now because, ironically, of Trump. But the general interest magazine of Vanity Fair is where I had started my career and where wrote for years. Those are suffering right now. Documentaries are sort of taking their place, but I think we're at a very confusing time. Anyway, the first question that journalists who wrote about the film, which just premiered yesterday, asked me was, um, well, how are you going to reach the other side? Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, and... Um, I frankly don't have an answer to the question because people are so dug in... And um, I sometimes, I have serious radio in my car, and I'm always listening to MSNBC, of course, so I have like Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes, and it's all coming at me. And then sometimes I will flip to Fox, actually, to try to understand um, and listen to, to what the rhetoric is. And... Uh, It's dispiriting not because it's fascist, which it is oftentimes. (laughs) It's dispiriting because it's a narrative that is uh, an opiate to um, a uh, other uh, political um, camp that uh, won't listen. And then I guess you could say the same for the liberal side. I I don't, actually, I think that's a false equivalency because I think that, Um, I'm just gonna use the term fascism here. I think that we're really on the cusp, okay? And the big lie, the big lie uh, was something that uh, Goebbels perpetrated uh, for Hitler in World War II. During the McCarthy period when Harry Truman was president, when Harry Truman left office, he gave a speech denouncing McCarthy. Uh, and saying that this was wrong and un-American. Dwight Eisenhower was just about to become president as a Republican. Harry Truman says McCarthyism. He says, "I'm not talking about the senator from Wisconsin. I'm talking about what he stands for, which is the big lie." And he qu- he uses Goebbels' uh, term, actually uses a term associated with Nazi propaganda to call it what it was—that that type of demagoguery. Uh, is is a, a fascistic force in the country be very very careful about this right now because Trump somehow in his savantness because I think he is a kind of an idiot savant, has figured out how to <laughs> command um, the, the tools of, of the modern media. And uh, that is the big lie, and fake news is the big lie. If fake news is, I had never used the term fake news, it was very dangerous, because it's kind of a joke, jokey term, and I don't think we should joke. I think we should speak about it as if we're talking about Goebbels and Goering and Hitler. And that is uh, what Steve Bannon was trying to do, and Trump has taken it up.
2: Wow. <sighs> You just snatched a bunch of wigs up in there. Um, but you guys are part of two amazing documentaries, and you know we like to um, end each new Hollywood podcast championing underrepresented voices. Are there any films, documentar- documentarians, actors, any underrepresented voices in the industry, writers that you think deserve more shine right now that aren't getting it?
3: This isn't really my industry, okay.
2: So. But anyone, like you, think like even activism or anyone, anyone yeah. doing some I mean, dope, dope. dope thing? Honestly,
3: I think the stories of people with severe mental, severe mental illness, is a story that has to be told. Mm. And you know, we every, in every one of our cities, we walk past someone who's homeless, we walk past someone who is clearly suffering from something, and we are left with no clue on how to hold space for them, respond to them, and we've really created an entire environment where we've invisibilized them. And I think that part of the work that... My work is to make the invisible visible and to force not just myself but the rest of us to be humans again. It is unhuman to walk past someone who is not sheltered, who is clearly pissed on themselves, who clearly needs support, and yet we do it every single day. I do it every single day. And so to put that story on screen and to bring it to Sundance, I think is incredibly important, necessary, and I hope it's a call to action. Um,
1: Yeah, I'm gonna evade your question as well, but I'm gonna... (laughs) um, uh, No problem. But I I think that uh, everything you're doing is vital. Um, it's a systemic problem in this country. Uh, we're try- every time we even try to fix something uh, and make a big fix, it doesn't really address the fix. And I'll talk about something a little far afield here, but I think it's a metaphor. For instance, um, Obamacare. Uh, which I'm all for. Uh, but that doesn't fix the medical industrial complex in this country. It doesn't, and it's related to mental illness very much so. It doesn't help people who really need um, help and, and, and healthcare. It helped a lot of people that couldn't get health insurance, and that's a great thing, but it does not fix the system. And we need to be radical in, this, in the true sense of the term, radical, go to the root of these problems. Uh, and uh, I'll talk macro. Uh, again, it's uh, we're spending. We don't talk about this anymore for some reason, but we're spending way too much money on nuclear w- arsenals and weapons and things like that. And it's the real problem with the country is that we are locked in by a Senate, for instance, who are you know Southern senators have huge, huge power. And they love defense and they love the military. And we have to spend less on that and we have to spend more on people and on social issues and come up with radical uh, cures for these problems. And education, of course, is another one that is it's absurd that we have um, the defense budget we have. And we, LA public school teachers went on strike last week because they're not nurses in public schools in LA. So, anyway, we have to get radical. And um, we're all here, this, this festival does a good job of trying to bring voices, and we're all here in the, this room because we want to be a part of that. So um, thank you for giving a, yeah. a, a topic uh, airing here yeah. that is um, toward that.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming thank to this you. Panel. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for thank that you. Thank you very much. And don't forget Bedlam. Where's my Raycon if you guys still are gonna be at the festival? They're great documentary. Fantastic. I learned Highly and I them. can't I learn. Them. <laughs> the new Hollywood podcast is presented by Visit West Hollywood. We would also like to thank today's partners Callie Love, Inkbox, Wes Elm, and of course, Visit West Hollywood. Pulsing in the heart of LA, West Hollywood is home to the iconic Sunset Strip, diverse Santa Monica Boulevard, and fashion-forward design district. Learn more at visitwesthollywood.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: Lucky?